All right. Well, welcome to our podcast, Nothing Controversial, a conversation about religion and politics. It's not controversial. It's not. Nothing controversial. Nothing controversial about that. Um, Well, my name is Jody Harris. I'm here with my uh, esteemed colleague, Brian Naples. Professor Brian Naples. Um, And uh, this is our podcast. So, um, you are listening to episode, are we calling this episode We're one? calling this episode one. Even though we did a trial episode the other week, yeah. who knows if it'll ever get published. It'll be like the secret episode. The secret episode. Right. You know, like, like Disney that. has the secret vaults. Right. We have a secret episode. Right. I like it. A I like practice it. episode. You can kind of run through it. Just like Star Trek has two pilots, right? So you it makes one that nobody sense. ever watched it, and then... <laughs> we just pretend it just doesn't exist because it, it was exist. so bad. You just don't even want to like... Or was it so good? You know, that, that it just can't be heard now. It could be. I, that, that really could be the case. I don't really know. I, I have no clue. <laughs> uh, so, if you're... Uh, so, like we said, this, this is our first podcast. This is uh, episode one, starting here from ground zero. Uh, the idea behind why we wanted to start a podcast was we're looking at uh, civil discourse in America right now, or... or the lack thereof. Right. And Big time. You know, it, it seems like we have whole generations of, of Americans um, that are not able to have conversations about controversial subjects. I, yeah, I think Americans have um, forgotten in many ways what, uh, what it means to have a sound, reasoned, political, religious, or otherwise conversation. Um, I think part of that is you, has to do with the decaying of maybe America's norms, you know, our mores as a people. You know, one of the things that mores really help us do um, is they provide us guidance in how we relate to one another, you know. And as those mores have kind of like slowly declined, and we can see this in different ways across the United States, those mores are declining. And that means that in one of those ways is how we communicate with each other. Absolutely. Because yeah. I think when you like look online and you look at particularly any form of social media, people don't have the uh, wherewithal anymore. Absolutely. How to have a, just a conversation. Yeah, and I think as we look at how social media has progressed, you know, going from something like, MySpace to Facebook, uh, where you have replies, you have threads, onto Twitter, where you're limited to the number of characters that you can post. Uh, it's not as intuitive, you know, in reply. I mean, you can definitely reply and you can see those threads, but it's not as intuitive uh, onto things like Instagram, TikTok, where we're really just videos and, and you know, there's comment, you can comment, right? But right. that's not the main focus. The main focus is me putting my content out there. Uh, like it or not, you know, it's like this podcast, but much like this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh Oh. goodness. But, uh, it's true though. Like, and and I think one of the big things with social media in particular is social media is not very social. You know, we're seeing studies now that are coming out more and more on social media that it's just, it's the opposite of social. And one of the things that goes on with it is, People get on social media and they look for self-reinforcement. You know, we, we look at the same thing, we reinforce our own ideas. But I think the big thing uh, uh, that makes social media not social 
uh, is the lack of personal interaction, like actual human-to-human -human interaction. It's a lot easier for me to tear uh, a person down, to tear them apart, when I'm not facing that person. You know, if I'm not looking at you face to face and in the eye, not to say that some people don't, because they're still very good at that, <laughs> and they probably shouldn't be. But but we're so we can still um, be very degrading to one another when we're looking at people face to face. But it is harder to do when you're looking at someone face to face, and when you have personal interaction, mores are more important. There there is a need for uh, etiquette, because etiquette allows people who disagree to be in the same room with one another. And as etiquette dies, um, political, religious, and other forms of conversation take on more extreme uh, discussion. Let's let's put it that way. Right. You know, we're just focusing on the discussion aspect of it, not the, you know, not the actual conflicts that might come out of it, other than the discussions. You you bring up an interesting point when you say that on social media, a lot of times we're just looking to reaffirm our own beliefs and the algorithms that social media sites use just reinforce that. So, right. for example, when I first got on TikTok, yes, I am on the, the TikTok. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I knew it. I knew it. All along, I knew it. I thought I'd learned to dance, you maybe. You were a closet TikToker. I'm a closet TikToker. It's it. Oh, man. It's out. It's the, the information's out. Now everybody knows. All, all Are you in cahoots with China? I'm just... China. <laughs> I just got to ask that question. Yeah, yeah, I, I really am, yeah. No, and, and now all ones and ones of people that listen to this podcast also know right. that I'm on the TikTok. So, <laughs> all like two people. That all two people, to both of them. Podcast, both of the people. Which would be us in this room. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's definitely not our wives. <laughs> They're not going to tune into the show. Not at all. Not at all. But you know, when I first got on there, they have something called a for you page, and, and that's that's your you know as you're scrolling through the videos, you know at first it's very generic, a lot of people dancing, you know. As you start to watch things or like things, I mean, even if you don't like them, the fact that you watched them or that you went back to it a second time, it, it's that algorithm is generating, you know, it's going to pull content that you're more predisposed to liking, and so yeah. my it's actually funny because. Mine and my wife's TikTok accounts, we see the same videos. You know, I'll show her a video. Oh, I saw that yesterday, right? You know, it's, you know it's a, we see a lot of the same content, which is really interesting. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely social media in general. We are seeking to reaffirm our own position. We're not seeking to learn. We're not seeking right. to grow. Yeah. Well, and, and I remember this from 2016. So we're going through an election cycle now. So it'll be very interesting to see what the numbers are this election cycle. But in the 2016 election cycle, you, Facebook was releasing information, for example, that they were having more people unfriend one another mm -hmm. during that election cycle than at any other point in time because it had become so polarizing. We couldn't even be social media friends anymore. Right. I mean, we had to like unfriend people. People are unfriending family members on on social media. And so they got to the point where uh, even the, the social media itself was polarizing and um, that social connection that people have gone. But so and then when we go through our social media feeds, because we've unfriended everybody who's of the opposite opinion of ours. Right. We've unfriended all of those people. And I've even seen people that I have on social media 
my friends concerning a lot of the things that are going on right now. They'll say at the very bottom, if you disagree with me, unfriend me, I don't want you, I don't need you in my life. I've seen that a couple of times. Not yeah. many, but I have seen that a couple of times. And I think to myself, how sad is it that we can't have any dialogue at all? I disagree with you, but fine, I disagree with you, right? Yeah. If, But we need to at least have dialogue on it. We need to at least talk about it and remain respectful to one another because if we can't if we can't do that then you know we're in serious trouble because i think if when when you can no longer work things out with words the only other option after that is force and we're seeing that and we are beginning to see that uh, people are just taking action into their own hands to do things um they they feel like there's no dialogue and there's no conversation that you can have with the other side. And so the only, the last thing is force. It's just my will against yours, yep. you know? Uh, and we're seeing at, for example, at political rallies and political events where um, sometimes the protesters will not allow the speakers to speak because right. they're not, supposedly no, they're not worth hearing, right? And so that's, you have to suppress them and push them out, right? And we're even seeing that, uh, sad to say, at universities, where you're not allowed to present the, uh, the opposing view. Well, if you can't present the opposing view, how can you learn? You're just, all you're then doing is reinforcing your own view. And so you get stuck in a perpetual self-reinforcement cycle. You don't, first of all, you don't personally grow. You don't personally learn when you do that. And, and second of all, you, you further the, the, the divide between the two sides. And you actually are saying you're so off base that you're not even worth talking about. You're so off base that you're, even in some cases, um, your well-being means nothing to me. Whatever happens to you, fine, let it happen. I don't care. That's really sad. It is really sad. You know, um, and especially at the university level where, we're, where it has become increasingly popular, even by faculty, to like limit free speech, which is very sad. Did you see uh, two days ago uh, a university professor in Iowa, and I can't remember what university it was, but you can get online and look up the story. She put it in her syllabus that if you oppose, for example, Black Lives Matter, uh, or if you have um, anything against abortion, that you are not allowed in her class. You fail the class. You might as well just drop the class now. It's in the syllabus. That's forewarning. You cannot be a part of this class. Uh, how sad is that? Um, you, where's the dialogue there? Right? Again, that self-reinforcing cycle. We're, we're pitting ourselves against one another by not allowing dialogue to take place. What, what do you think... Why, why do you think that educators... Are the very ones, the people who are supposed to be, uh, you know, at the forefront of dialogue. You, you know, you think you think of a university professor as someone who, who should want dialogue, who should want you know differing opinions, who should want uh, the exchange of ideas. But but it seems more and more often that professors and, and even in some cases teachers are the ones who are the most egregious. Uh, you know, suppressors of the free exchange of ideas. And I, I, what, what causes that? I think one of the big things that we've seen within uh, departments, various departments at university levels, uh, is the change in what we consider the objective of the education system. I think education 
especially if you're like in the realm of philosophy, right? Which is philo, sophia, right? And the Greek and all that love of wisdom, mm -hmm. right? But what really philosophy is doing is your goal is to pursue truth. So the objective, that ultimate goal of pursuing truth, that's, that's your objective. Well, one of the things that has happened in particularly in the world of academia, and not just the world of academia, but I think our political cultures, we have lost the idea of truth. There's so much, so much is considered relative today. And so when you lose truth and it's all kind of relativistic, then the objective of education ultimately changes. Your, your, what you're doing in the classroom is not a common pursuit of truth. You lose commonality. Mm -hmm. What you're doing is your objective is a particular ideology. Now you're pursuing a single train of thought, right? Right. And so um, the professors feel like it is their duty to pursue that train of thought. And that, and it doesn't matter really, honestly, which side of the political aisle that professor falls. Well, most of them do fall to the left side. Something, I, I can't remember the numbers, but if you look at studies, they show you most of the uh, ideology falls to the left side in like a, a university level, right. right? And so, but even if the people on the right side did it, okay, it's still wrong because the goal should be the pursuit of truth, not a single ideological line but that's not how that's not how it's come to be known and i think part of it is because of the relativity of truth i think we've we've relativized and trivialized things do, do you think that in some ways goes back so you know recently i've been reading a little bit about uh, the age of lights and sort of the you know yeah. uh, i guess in what 19th, 18th century france mid mid to late 1700s uh european thought um, yeah, and, and you know the the re rejection of what at that time would had you know you know the rejection of not just Roman Catholicism but of, of Christianity in general. Yeah, um, and you know the, replacing that with a um, a religion based around just the pursuit of wisdom. And, yes, and and, and yeah. that was used to justify the horrors of the French Revolution. Um, that was used to justify a lot of, of things that occurred right there at the end of the um, 1700s, early 1800s. Um, and so it's interesting to me, I, I, I see sort of a, you know, are we in a new age of lights, a new age of of reason where we say we're pursuing, <laughs> we say we're pursuing truth and pursuing wisdom, but we yeah. really have, um, we're really just pursuing our own ideologies. Yeah. Oh, I, I definitely agree with that. I think that that's, uh, that's ultimately what's going on. And, and I think when you look at the university level, the ideology of the professor trumps. The professor can't be wrong in the classroom, right? right? Because he's the, the arbiter of the grade. Right. You know. And so the professor, you, this, is, this is the train of thought and so forth. And this might sound a little awkward, but for a moment, let me step back and say, I kind of understand a little bit of why that is important uh, in the sense that for a professor to profess their mm -hmm. knowledge, okay? Um, there's a difference though in professing your knowledge of something and then controlling opposition, okay? So there is a difference between the two. But you know, when you look back at old universities, sometimes people would go to universities to study under a particular person, to go under their tutelage. 
right? And that was a huge thing. And we still see that today a little bit at major universities. I want to go to um, such and such university because such and such professor is there and I want to study under their tutelage, mm -hmm. right? But very limited. I mean, Instead that's of, the exception. You do not see that very much anymore, right? But, I mean, if you knew, for example, that Albert, Albert Einstein was still teaching in a particular place and you wanted to go into physics, um, you, you, that might be the place to go. You'd go, okay, I want to go there. I want to study under his tutelage. Mm -hmm. But we don't see that much anymore. And uh, that, so that kind of thing is lost. So that idea of profession of that knowledge is slowly, I think, is slowly dying out. right? The, so, but if when we had it, I can understand why a person would want to go to the class and you want to go capture that person's ideals and you want to learn from that particular person what they know. Uh, that's different, though, <laughs> than the professor canceling out any opposition to their ideals. Like, so if I'm teaching in a classroom, I have to be willing, even if I'm professing my knowledge, I have to be willing to allow other things to enter my classroom so that we can examine those other things. If I'm not willing to do that, then, then I am, uh, one, it's almost as if to say, as the teacher, I know so much, I know it all. There's nothing I could possibly be wrong on. We're all wrong on something. But that's what, the, that's what you're saying, I'm not wrong. You therefore cannot be right, so you must not bring your errors into my class. It's really, to a certain extent, and I hate to say it, but there's a certain amount of arrogance in that kind oh, of... I would, yeah. You know, like, oh, you know, I'm so superior in my ideals than you are. You must be suppressed. That, and um, so education has lost in that regard. It loses its humility, I think. Hmm. In which humility is... You, you really can't have education without humility. It's, it's paramount to the, acquisi the acquisition of knowledge because you have to know that you don't know everything. Right. Well, you know, you, you said something earlier that made me think. The idea of why a university exists has radically changed over the last oh, couple of hundred years. Hasn't it ever? You know, and you used to, I mean, you didn't pursue a university degree as a means to a career. Right. And I think that's the biggest hurdle that, you know, most most of our students and, and parents and, and even maybe our educators in general have that we, we've switched our mindsets to, you know, the, the university education is a means to an end, a means right. to a means to a career. Right. And where used to, like you said, you, you went to um, a university to, to learn a philosophy or learn fit you know learn you a social to become science a learned and an educated person to become an educated person to um, become self-actualized the, the career a person who wanted to learn a trade to learn how to do something to earn a career that was a, a trade school or an apprenticeship or yeah. you know that that was nowhere near yep. the, the university and how yep. these two things have collided is a really interesting you know sort of history that we don't necessarily have to go into but i mean they're two competing ideas. Well, it, it, but it does make sense how they did collide. So I, I do actually want to hit on it for just a second because when you do have people who have really strong um, education, particularly in like the liberal arts and the humanities, thinkers, 
Thinkers are important, thinkers and communicators. They're really important to most industries. And so they're able to hold and run businesses and, and keep industries going because they have that training of, you know, that high enlightened thought, right? Mm-hmm. And to a certain extent. And so it makes sense how, how businesses, companies, corporations, whatever, are going to look for people who have who good who can communicate well, people who can who can think outside the box, who can examine things, who can be analytical. It makes sense how those would eventually trans, transition into major parts of the workforce. So they kind of so you can see how they kind of draw one another together. Right. Right. It's not just enough to be a tradesman, but you need a tradesman and a thinker. And if you, you know, when you, so they, they kind of can draw each other close to one another. Right. The problem, of course, is that the one becomes the other. And we don't make the distinction anymore between the two when we need to. Right. And because of that, the, uh, the economic, um, shall we say, aspect has pulled all of the universities in a single direction. And we're seeing the fruits of that, you know. Uh, you can't get a liberal education, um, and liberal not in the not, not, not in the political sense, not in the political sense. Liberal as in free, as in a one that frees the mind. Right. You can't get a liberal arts education anymore without going into thousands and thousands of dollars of debt, mm-hmm. and uh, because the expectation is that you're getting you're going into the education to get a job. That's the expectation. Right. Well, that kills your chance of just educating and, and making enlightened citizens kills it because you can't afford it anymore yeah because to a certain extent the the world especially industries they've become very technicalized and so those technical skills uh, we call them stem right like the stem degrees right um, those things are super 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 important today because of the way that we've become so specialized and technical and everything else so that kind of that degree kind of has trumped everything else and it has raised education in that side which means that but at the expense of the other right at the expense of the liberal arts at the expense of the liberal arts and everything so and then of course you do have the people within the liberal arts as we just talked about who just like <laughs> they get into the liberal arts and they're not pursuing truth right they're like uh, liberal arts, I think, has become code for political activism. Yes, I, I would I would agree with that. You know, we're like, okay, well, I'm I'm going into a liberal arts program. Uh, oh, really? What are you studying? Well, I'm doing gender studies, mm-hmm. um, which is for mostly for political activism. Or, um, you know, you can name any number of studies, but that's a good example of it, right? Um, and so it's not. I'm in the liberal arts because I want to pursue and want to have an understanding of what is true. Mm. I want to know the world around me. What do you think, you know, a lot of people justify either their position, uh, you know, their their argument, they justify some of these degrees that exist um, on the basis of scholarly, peer-reviewed journal articles. Yeah. Do you think that... That our the journal articles and the, the journals that we have are they still as scholarly as they once were? 
Oh, that's a really good question. You know, in, in some respects, yes, because I still believe that there are very enlightened persons out there. Um, you know, we seem to be, we're here ragging on the education industry pretty good. <laughs> tearing it down, tearing it down. But, the, but that doesn't mean that everyone within the education industry is a reflection of everything that we've just said. Because right. there are people in the, I just think it's a smaller and smaller group of people. Mm-hmm. But there are definitely people who are, you know, really pursuing true things. And you will come across that in certain journals and, and things. I, less frequently, right? I, I grant you, but... I think it's, uh, and this is really good, this is going to be really great podcasting because I didn't bring it with me and I have no idea where. <laughs> That's okay. I, mean, I, mean, I, I don't, you know. Let me just reference something. The less I, prepared we are, the more fun it is. Right, right exactly. I mean, you know, that's whatever. <laughs> but uh, I, I did hear, I hear, heard or read here recently that um, there was a group of people that attempted to get, uh, that they were sort of trying this out, right? So they sort of wrote these erroneous journal articles with the intention of proving how easy it was to get your article published and they're just all nonsense right and they all and they got they got all these journal articles published and it's just you know just it's kind of crazy how you you know if this is what we are referencing and this is what our, our graduate level students are are reading to justify their views and positions you know, let me ask you a question. I, I want to go off on that for just a second, and I've I've got another thought on that. But before I get to it, let me ask you a, a question on that. Do you think part of part of this has to do with not just the loss or of, of academic value, but do you think this has the rise has to do with the rise of amateur journalism as well, where you know we get. Anyone can be a journalist now, so to speak, a journalist, an amateur journalist. You can, you, anyone can start a podcast. <laughs> 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 anyone can start a podcast. <clears throat> anyone can, uh, can, of course, you know, you can start your own journal. You can get online. You can start a blog and stuff. So, you know, have we, the spread of information being what it is, have we just outlasted the need for journalism because you know there are people out there who do on their own some really good stuff i'd like to think we're one of those well, you know hopefully one of those group will find out of after episode 5000 when <laughs> we have an audience of three people but anyway the the point is we've grown by 50 <laughs> percent the, the, the point is, you know, that, you know, the rise of amateur journalism, I think, has has impacted um, the way that we perceive academic journalism as an overall whole. Well, you know, anybody with a cell phone can can record. You have all these blogs that are popping up. Anybody can, as you said, create a podcast. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and there's there, in some ways that's good, but it, the space is crowded. And it whose is. voice do you listen to? It is. You know, um that's that's a really good point um you know something else the older generation i think looks at this and looks at media a lot different than than younger generations and here's my here's what i mean by that so 50 years ago you get home from your nine to five right you turn on the news the news would come on at what six o'clock right you have commercials in that so the news would last from six to seven yeah, and, and the commercials would be short. The commercials would be short, but you did yeah. have commercials, so you're not getting a full hour of news. Right. Some of that's the weather, some is sports. 
you get about 30 minutes of actual hard-hitting news. You know, and this is national news. Right. So something had to be of the utmost importance right. to make it to national news. Right. Now, I think our, oh, our, our, you know, maybe not the Xers so much, but the Boomers certainly, they, they watch CNN, MSNBC, Fox, that has a 24-hour news cycle. Inundated. Inundated with, with things that are, you know, maybe they're important, maybe they're not, you know, they're, they're over and over and over. And I think to our older generation, that what they're seeing in their mind is just as important as, you know, what they would have heard in, in 1963, you know, the Kennedy assassination, right. um, the moon landing. The you know what what's made it to national news must be of importance, right? Because it's made it to national news, right. and that's just not the case anymore. Yeah, well, I don't actually know. Actually, I might disagree with you a little bit on that because I don't know if that's necessarily true about the old, older generation in the sense that they would think of it the same. Because I, I would think that they would have seen the changes, and many of them do. I, I think many of them do see what's going on today, and they go, uh, they see the polarization in it. Actually, I think the people that are most blind to it are the younger generation who haven't seen the change, who are coming up, you know what I mean? Right. And they're, they're coming up and they're like, this is just normal. This is par for the course. And I think they're the, da- they're the generation most in danger. Uh, I'll give you a, a good example of that. If you look at people over the age of, uh, what is it, over the age of 50 or 60, this is a study I was reading that was conducted only like a year ago. You look at that generation and they're more inclined to say that people should have the freedom to say what they want, including things that are today considered by the younger generation hate speech. But if you look at the people who are in their 30s and under, you know, or 20, or about that age, they're a lot more free with limiting speech. You know, they don't, they don't, um, they're, they're all, uh, free, free with the idea. They're right. okay with it. They're, they're okay with, um, with having uh, put, putting all of these great limitations upon the way that things are presented and, and, and everything. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I think, you know, the old, older generation, they, they see the changes that go on. And I, I think that they're, um, they're the ones who uh, probably feel alienated quite a lot by some of the changes that they've seen. You know, things aren't what they used to be for them. That that I do agree with you there. They yeah. they are the ones that um, sort of harken back to this golden age of Americana. Yeah, we can argue maybe in a later episode whether that actually existed or not. <laughs> right, right. But um, you know, I've, I've always I've heard it said. Uh, I heard a quote one time, and I really I really like it that um, that our more conservative uh, folks. They they want to harken back to a, an America that met, probably didn't actually exist. They have this un unrational expecta- expectation of the past uh-huh. and what America was, but was it yeah. really? Where the left has this unreasonable expectation of, of the future and what it could be, and it will never be. Yeah. And so it's we it, all have the tendency, even in our own individual lives, to just idealize the past. You know, like, and I have memories of when I was a kid, you know, when I was young and the things that happened. And I know several of those memories are true to form. But I also know that several of those memories are tainted by suggestions and other things. And so, and, you know, we we see that people will kind of fudge a little bit, change the story up a little bit, you know. Certainly I have never, (laughs) ever, certainly not. 
but but we we do have those tendencies and so sometimes we can overlook uh faults of the past you know um things that maybe were important that should be looked at but again this is where that uh, kind of academic integrity has to come in that real examination but then you're correct and looking at that future um people have an unreasonable expectation of what is to come mm -hmm. you know especially when we look at the young generation with things like the advances of uh, socialism and communism and stuff and the marxist arguments and things going on um you, sometimes we don't know uh, especially the young generation how good they actually have it oh yeah you know absolutely and so because they they don't know how good that they have it they look for the change because they see a current problem right but sometimes with the, when it comes to the things that have gone on in the past sometimes we tend to uh, like i said we tend to overlook our own faults and the things that really do need to be addressed perhaps you know it absolutely can happen and there are issues that things that have gone on which absolutely do need to be addressed and sometimes we can just have the tendency uh to forget about those things or even romanticize about a particular thing as as you've said i think that's very psychological it's almost natural i think for human beings to do that mm -hmm. you know yeah i would agree so yikes Anyway, did this get serious? I think it did. How did this conversation go? This wasn't supposed to be like this. We are never serious. We're, we're not well, serious. We're people. never serious people, and what we're talking about isn't that serious. Wait a minute. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> but anyway, uh, how do we how do we end this show? You know, that's a good we, question. We we've got about four or five minutes left to to try to figure out how to end the show. Um, what do we do? I, I don't know. I, well, here's here's something we could do. Um, I'm listening. So, so at the beginning of the show, um, I'd like to start doing maybe an affirmation or a denial or some sort of lighthearted... Um, what are we affirming? Uh, whatever you want to. You get one. <laughs> <laughs> I can affirm one thing. Uh -huh. Not multiple things. No, no, no. Huh? Uh, you can affirm, affirm one thing. Oh, uh, well. Uh, well, I mean, I, I think that uh, uh, if I'm going to affirm anything, I, I think that I, kind of as a Thanksgiving thing, you know, I, I, I'm I'm very thankful for um, for my religious freedom. I think uh, a lot of the things that I look at are formed by um, my ability to believe in God, to profess my religion, to profess it freely, and to um, I think that's where I draw a lot of joy in life, and so that that. Freedom is something that that I really I would affirm because, and hopefully for everybody too, uh, because um, that's the ability to have my free conscience and to freely express myself is I think the um, one of the greatest joys in life. After you. And now I feel really bad because I was going to affirm the fact that I got a free cup of coffee today, but. <laughs> I see where this is going. <laughs> I, no, no, you're good. It can be I get as, it. It can be as, as serious or as, as I get it. No, I get it. You're good. You're I good. get it. No. In, in in that case, in that case, uh, I'd like to affirm the fact that the other day I I said I've got a garden going this year and I, yep. I grew a cucumber. Oh, I'd look like at to, you. I'd like to be thankful for the gift of the cucumber. Okay. So. Fair enough. You, yeah. 
There are no words. There are. There's there just are no, no words. There's no words. Let's there's just, just no words. Let's, let's, let's cut just, this up. All right, we're just gonna. I'm did just you want to do a denial? What do I want to do? You get an app, You get one affirmation and one denial. You get one of each. What do I want to deny? I don't know. What do you got? You gonna deny something? I'm gonna let you go first. Oh shoot. Okay. So I'm going to deny. Um, uh, and it, I guess along the lines of, of what this what we've uh, talked about today is just the the lack of um, dialogue and the lack of willingness to work with people. Um, I think uh, lack of, of humility that people uh, are no are no longer displaying and just this general uh, me culture. I, I think a yeah. lot of it. Boy, I mean, I'm gonna just boil it down to a, a me self centered culture that um, I don't think we uh, any longer uh, look out for the the common man I don't think we um, I don't think we're our brother's keeper anymore yeah you know yeah. and and that's a lot of what we talked about that a little bit in episode zero not that you'll ever get to hear it not that anyone will ever get to hear it's that. a secret it doesn't exist Maybe we maybe we didn't actually record it and we just keep talking about it like it actually happened and it didn't actually happen. <laughs> well, so I get to deny something now. Yeah, you get thirty seconds. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, well, I since this being what it is, I think it's very important that I deny that um, you know, Golden Grams are the best cereal. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to say Fruit Loops are by far the best cereal since we're uh, we're. Looking so you're affirming Fruit Loops. You've missed the whole point. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm designing Golden Grand. Okay, fair enough. All right, guys. Well, um, I thank you for joining us. If you made it the whole hour, um, you are a trooper. Um, a trooper. Yeah. Uh, you've listened to us for an hour. So, uh, no, for real, if uh, if you want to, to drop us a comment, if you liked it, please do so. If you didn't, um, well, the, we're, we don't really care. Yeah. <laughs> no, we do. We do. Yeah, we do. No, care. we do care. We, do. we want to create a dialogue. Um, but uh, yeah, so thanks for joining us. We hope that you come back for episode two. Two. Episode two. We'll launch. Um, we're going to do this every Friday, right? That's right. That's uh, the goal. That's the goal. So, all right, guys. Well, we appreciate it and we look forward to seeing you next time. Absolutely. All right.